If you're listening to Interviews with Adam, I am your host, Adam Miller. And as we continue our way through this series, talking with the many voices behind the music here on Song Time, we are joined today by Keith Getty, who is with his wife, is one of the leading uh, hymnologist of our day, a contemporary hymnologist in our in our day and in our culture. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for being a part of our program. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, Keith, give us a little bit of a background to your story because uh, it's a very unique story and how you've become uh, really a, a, a statesman for hymns in the church, but contemporary hymns <laughs> in the church. So tell us a little bit about your story. What, what brought you to this point? Well, I, I grew up um, in Ireland, and uh, then um, growing up, going through student years, beginning to dialogue with people of other faiths, people of no faith, um, had my faith both challenged, but over a number of years, re- reaffirmed and more affirmed that that this Christ who was prophesied and that was born and taught and lived and died and rose uh, was the hope for the world. Um, but but that to actually live and flourish as a Christian in the 21st century, we have to be deep believers. Um, the, the, the nominalism that has guarded the last you know, several generations of Western Christians, I don't believe, um, will really will really hold out um, in the next couple of generations. So one of the way, one of the ways we build deep believers is in the songs we sing. That's how it, in the Old Testament they build deep believers in the New Testament and throughout most of church history, from the church fathers to the reformers to the revivalists, um, they were accompanied with great deep songs of the grace of God and the, and the character of God and, 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 and how that affects every part of our fiber. And so we wanted to start writing hymns with really three goals: with, with theology with congregationality and with artistry that would fire people's imaginations. That was the dream. Our first hymn out of the gate was a hymn called In Christ Alone. And um, that was back in, we wrote wrote it in 2000, released it in 2001. And then by 2005, we basically quit the music industry to work full time as as, as as basically writers of hymns and uh, as stewards of these hymns that we write. And In Christ Alone is probably the one that resonates uh, the most with our listeners. It's stood the test of time, but it's also uh, kind of ushered in a lot of these other great songs that you've written and you've co-written with other people like Stuart Townend. Um, so you and your wife do this together. Um, tell us a little bit about how that kind of relationship was forged and, uh, and, and this duo, this dynamic duo to be uh, behind these <laughs> contemporary hymns. Well, the man I was one of the most influential persons in helping me find, really understand my faith and be confident about it was a man called Professor John Lennox, who many of you will have heard from his debates with Richard Dawkins and in his, in his talks at, on, on television and in America. He's an Oxford professor of mathematics who, who is a believer. And um, then he introduced me to his niece, who was one Kristen Lennox, who, who I was, he asked me to help her with her music, and I thought that was a good idea, but thought didn't know it was an even better idea. And so we got to know each other and then got married. And so Kristen and I have been doing what we do ever since. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's great to share. We, we, I mean, we've, we've written music since day one together. It's just how we've done life. And um, we get to share um, our life and our three beautiful little daughters, Eliza, Charlotte, and Gracie, and then be able to write and then travel a little bit. And, and as for the next month, we're in the offices managing these new projects that are happening. So it's very exciting. And you do have a new project coming out. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, what's going to be released coming this summer. Right. Well, many of you will know of the Facing a Task Unfinished global thing that happened recently. Facing a Task Unfinished 
uh, there was a global thing in February with 100 countries um, and over 1.1 million people signed up for it and it was in f- over 5,500 churches around the world signed up for it and it was this idea of singing uh, the Great Commission. Frank Houghton was one of the early directors of the China Inland Mission and he believed the way and to galvanize Christians to mission was to sing hymns. And so he wrote this in Facing a Task Unfinished that brought hundreds of missionaries to China and um, back in the 30s when the Chinese, and there was such an interesting time, the Chinese government obviously had vowed to eradicate Christianity. There was less than three quarters of a million believers at that point. There are now 82 million registered believers in China. Some think the number's over 100 million. And it's really a miracle of grace. The, the largest growth in, in Christianity in world history, the largest growth of any world religion, actually, over, over a period of less than 100 years. It's a, it's a remarkable story. Um, that, that should serve as an inspiration and a challenge to all of us. And so we wrote an album. We, wrote, we did a new setting of the song uh, for this global thing, and it's a, it's a fun, the whole song and, and, and the copyright, it's a fundraiser for Global Mission. And then we did an album inspired by it. So it's basically high singing for our global mission. So a collection of hymns and psalms and songs, hymns and psalms and songs, which basically start with Psalm 41, May the People's Praise You, Psalm 24, The Earth is the Lord's and everything in it bring in this wonderful gospel story of Jesus and his good news, and then songs challenging us to, to global mission, finishing with a new version uh, of our hymn of Church Arise. So. I think, as I mentioned, we're doing a series through the Psalms, and as a result, we've been asking uh, artists how the Psalms have influenced them, and, and you've put Psalms to music, but uh, the Psalms are the, the Psalter for, for the Bible. They're, they're there for not only the, the Jewish believers, but also for us. So tell us a little bit about how the Psalms have influenced you throughout the years, because you're not just taking some great hymn texts and putting them in music, you're also uh, delving into the, the riches of this altar. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is how the Psalms influence everyone. I mean, they influence me, but in the same way as they've influenced believers every generation, one of the most unique challenges is that we're in the first, some think we're in the first generation where the majority of Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian believers no longer sing or say, recite a psalm every Sunday, which, which is a real danger, because the psalms paint this wonderful canvas, a wonderful canvas, the, this, all the colors that we have revealed of the God of the Bible, a God who is just, a God who is almighty, a God who is holy, a God who does not tolerate evil, um, and also a God who is full of compassion, who is rich in love, who is longing to forgive, who leads us like a shepherd and cares for us like our dearest friend, more than our dearest friend. And so you get this wonderful, um, all these wonderful, it's the di- almost dichotomy of, of, of ideas. And then in the response to that, we get every part of humanity. So we, so we clap and shout and sing and play and play skillfully and dance with joy. And that's just the Presbyterians. And then outside of that, we also get this chance to be silent. Um, to meditate, to to lament, to question, to resolve that He is God and that we are not. And so, and so, when you read the Psalms, you become aware of the complexity and the bigness of the God of the Bible. You get to understand how He. You get to understand, secondly, the reality of human life. So many of my friends who have lost faith in the last decade were painted a stupid picture, which was an unbiblical picture of the God of the Bible, that he made all their dreams come true, or that he was he was this kind of strange kind of escapism, escapist-like kind of worship 
experience or that he was or that he was this kind of systematic theology that they had to fit into a box all the time. And of course, the Psalms remind us that he's so much greater than all those things. And that and that each part of your humanity is 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 a legitimate part of our humanity. And then but then the Psalms also remind us of the God who is there, that the God who the God who you know is is, is our salvation and and who is our hope. And who even when we don't quite understand everything, there is still enough for us to understand to to bow our knee and worship and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for. You know, with all of that uh, wealth and richness that's still there for the church, um, I'm, I'm actually surprised to hear you say that uh, we're, we're living in the first generation that hasn't made the Psalms a regular place in their in their church. I think you're right, but uh, uh, why is that? You know, you you've kind of risen as this uh, a figure that is an advocate for hymns and writing hymns, and now the Psalms and bringing these these back into our church service. Why have we gotten away from the hymns? Why have we gotten away from the Psalms in general? W- what was the cause of that in the beginning? I think that the primary cause is, is church leaders, pastors, not musicians, but pastors. Um, because in most, uh, most points of church history, there was, there was, there was a, People were people. We, we had we we had systems that that helped us in our worship. So uh, in the Old Testament, all they had was the Psalms. Most of the early church, all they had was the Psalms, or some of them would write hymns to explain the Bible, so the people that couldn't read could learn about this Jesus. Um, and so they learned their faith by singing it because they couldn't read it, or they had no books or anything else. So that was the beginning, and then. And then as, as time went on, they developed liturgies. They took the liturgies of the Jewish people and built liturgies around Christ. And indeed, when I said Psalms, I tend to do Christological interpretations of Psalms. And then, and, then, and then with the Reformation, in the last 500 years, came a thing called the hymn book. Either collections of hymns for denominations or hymn books, which said, here's the whole character of God. Here's the whole church's year. Here's the spectrum of every part of our human existence. Here is the Psalms, and here's collections, and so we, we had that to reference. I, I think having a, a screen in our churches to look up to is, is a wonderful thing. It gives us, and first of all, as a singer, we, we naturally then put our, our, our faces up, which is great. As a, as a worship leader who's very spontaneous, it gives me lots of options. As, as a human being who's expressive, it, it means our hands are free. All these things are great. Um, and, and, and it certainly has become the, the model of what is new, but there's, there's a lot more lost than just the actual physicality of a hymn book, because a hymn book gave us, gave us all this, all this, um, parameters. And so when you don't have it anymore, it's up to the pastor to say, this is what we're going to sing. This is how I'm going to feed my people. And when the pastor stopped doing that, and when they hand it over to the worship guys to do, they can't be surprised if the worship guys just default to do what, what mainstream Christian radio says to what some of these worship websites do and what the Christian music industry does. And at the end of the day, that's owned by Wall Street. So they're, they're handing over this key part of Christian teaching to Wall Street. You know, what I think is interesting um, in our culture today, there's, there's this new surge. I think that uh, you were at the very head of that surge of, of bringing uh, new songs and, and bringing churches that are now writing songs for their church, uh, for their own congregations to sing. And yet, a lot of those songs are not singable. Uh, what is distinguishable about all of your songs is that they are congregationally singable. Um, do you make that a very 
conscientious effort when you're when you're putting these songs, not only having great content and great depth in scripture, but also being able to be sung corporately? Yeah, that's the, that's the dream. That's the goal. So um, that's what we're trying to write. So um, so that, that that's kind of the stuff we put there. That's not to say we always get it right because man, we we work pretty hard and don't get that many good results. To be really honest, but but um, that's the basic goal of what we do. Do you think that that uh, do you notice that uh, trend in our culture today to to be more of a performance based to be still have depth? Some of these songs have great depth, but they're not written in that sense to be corporate. Is that something you notice? Yeah, it is, and it's sad, but again, it's done, to, it's done to the senior pastors. You know, the first question they should be asking on a Sunday, both the pastors and the worship leaders, is how do my congregation sing? Um, that they should care, because that's part of what binds it. It's not only part of what... It's, it's, first of all, it's our, it's, our holy, it's our high privilege. It's our holy privilege and high command. But it's also what binds us together as people, as well as what helps us remind us and teach us about the Bible, and it's the things we remember when we're old. It's the things we'll remember even when we've Alzheimer's, um, and certainly when life is tough. And so, and so, the first question we should be asking on a Monday is, "How did my congregation sing?" It's an important part of being a pastor to make sure our congregation are singing. The, the songs that you're singing, um, you must spend a lot of time and energy in, into um, putting them together. That the 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 content, which is so rich to us, and we've benefited so much from. Uh, really, just rises out of that overflow of your own heart, correct? Oh, yeah, for 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 sure. And um, but also a lot of it's Keith, uh, a lot of it's Kristen and Stewart. You know, who who are so brilliant with with, with lyrics as well. But um, don't 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 Lennox Kristen's uncle, who introduced us, who I mentioned earlier. He always said to us, make sure your faith, make sure your music is improving. You're becoming the best musician you can be, but make sure your faith is growing faster. So that's a challenge to us all. Whether we're whether we're businessmen or pastors or musicians or fathers or mothers or teenagers, you know that, that's the challenge. We we want to be growing in what we're doing and our, our giftings all the time, but we want to also be growing in our faith. And it should be it should be going at a similar speed, you know, as hard as that is to ultimately measure. Well, we certainly appreciate the the time, the energy, and and the work that you're doing, not only in bringing some some great music to the church, but really being an example for contemporary and yet uh, solid and grounded truths with, with new hymns being written for the church and the example you've set for so many that have followed in your example. So thank you so much for, for that work, uh, for what you've done for, for the church. It really is a gift to the body of Christ. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's an honor to do the interview today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this interview made possible by our ministry at Songtime Radio. You can find out more information about our ministry by visiting our website at songtime.com where you can find this and other interviews on our podcast series, as well as our weekday broadcast, which includes teaching, interviews, and music. We also want to encourage you to sign up for our free monthly newsletter. It's got encouraging articles, and there is no obligation to find out more information about our ministry. Again, visit our website at songtime.com. This ministry is made possible by people just like yourself. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed today, why not join with the many voices together for that one message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with your donation to the Songtime ministry. To make a donation, you can do so online at our website at songtime.com, as well as by mail. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. Make a donation over the phone. It's 508-362-7070. On behalf of our entire Songtime staff 
and our own Dr. John DeBrine, the founder here at Songtime, who encourages you to grow in grace and not groan in disgrace. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller. God bless.